Welcome back to another episode of Sketch Nerds, brought to you by Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. Here on Sketch Nerds, we break down sketch comedy. What works, what doesn't work, what we like, what we don't like, and why. Today, we're going to be discussing sketches from Second City TV and Beyond the Fringe. You can find information about this podcast, as well as the sketches we are going to be discussing, at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Joining me, as always, are Seth Alcorn and Julian Morgan. And today, we are happy to have on, as a returning guest, Elizabeth E.K. Kemp. E.K., what's been up with you since you were last on the show? Uh, well, I, I bought a spiralizer. What does that do? Uh, it uh, spiralizes vegetables. Does it have to be vegetables? I don't. I oh, don't it actually... could be people, but you get in trouble for that. What yeah. about like like what about like meats? Could I make like vegetables out of ground beef? People are made of meat. <laughs> we just found Seth's <laughs> fetish. Yeah, <laughs> people noodles. What have you made with your spiralizer? Actually, nothing. It's still in the box. So How long has it been in the box? About three weeks. How much longer will it remain in the box? Probably three years. Three years. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Good. What What prompted you to decide, I need a spiralizer? Uh, Is there something about spiralized food that just that speaks to you? You know, I tried the zucchini noodles, the pre-prepared zucchini noodles. They're called zoodles. Is that what they're called? No. Yeah, they are. No, they re- no, they really are called oh. zoodles. Yeah, I don't yeah. know, and they were and they were delicious. Uh, and I just thought, well, this seems like a lot of money to pay for zucchini noodles, and so I bet I can do this cheaper if I just get a spiralizer and do it myself. And I just haven't actually done that yet. Man, I gotta tell you, I would just try to spiralize everything I can. Yeah. Like, well, I, as I did that when I got the Ninja Blender. I just put everything in the Ninja Blender. I made a lot. I made a lot of my own peanut butter. It was damn, great. So you just have like oh. appliances. Like you're yeah. the you're the appliance queen right now. No, I actually I don't own a toaster. Yeah, that's okay. You can yeah. bro- you can you can uh, broil things. Or- I don't I don't broil really. I barely use my oven. Seth's got a question over there. He looks yeah. confused. Do you have a toaster oven? I don't. Oh, uh, EK, how do you? I don't understand how you live. I own. What do you I make? Own, in, I don't have a toaster. What do you make in a toaster? A toaster oven that you can't make in an oven or a microwave? Bagels. You make bagels. You toast bagels or toast bread. But you could do that in an oven. You put the oven on three hundred. You don't even preheat it. You just put it on three hundred. You put mm-hmm. the bagels in. You say, "Alexa, set a timer for two minutes." Uh, I how live in how the often future. are you eating bagels that you need a whole thing for it? Have you forgotten my heritage, Julian? Have you forgotten mine? Never. <laughs> we, I will never ever forget your heritage. All right, EK, can you uh, tell us about the sketch you brought today? Sure. So today we're going to talk about SCTV's half-wits. And and really, I brought this sketch on because I want to talk about sort of the evolution of the Jeopardy parody. And this this is, I think, relative to the history of Jeopardy itself, kind of in the early stages of what, what that parody would look like. Uh, and it's interesting to see over time, especially as SNL has picked it up, throughout almost its its entire history as a show and see how that structure has evolved over time and kind of, I think, uh, improved dramatically. Here's a clip. Darren Peel. Darren, good to have you back. Thank you, Alec, and we'd like to have you over for dinner real soon. Uh Uh-huh. Now, Darren, you were telling us you're in machine parts. Is that correct? That is correct, Alec. I search ball bearings for a living. I have two pails at work. 
In one pail, I'll put good ball bearings, and in the other, I'll put the bad ones. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a demanding job. It is for me. Now, Darren, you're a family man, is that correct? That is correct, Alec. I've got two wonderful parents. I have a mother and a father, and I have another brother whose name is Darren. All right, EK, let's start by talking about the sketch. What do you like about it? You know, actually, I... I feel like a jerk saying this, but not a whole lot other John than John Candy is rolling in his grave. Other well, no, I do like John Candy. I think he's the most fully realized character on in the sketch. But uh, other than that, I I don't think there's a whole lot to recommend this one. Yeah, and that's yeah. why we're talking about it here yeah. on Sketch Nerds. <laughs> and th- and that's kind of like my beef with format sketches is like so. First of all, they have they have a built in. A built-in joke, a built-in game, right? And so, the all, all, the, the only thing you have to do really is just like get through all the beats, and then boom, you're done, right? And so, and that's it feels tired after a while. Like even when SNL does it, it's like, oh god, another game show sketch, another talk show sketch. Which I understand because it's a live show and they're doing it. You know, when when the writers are like, fuck, what are we gonna write about? Oh, game show sketch. Let's you know make some shit up. But like. It just like a, a, like after a while, we need to just like just like get away from it. I feel I feel like you know all kind of format sketches, game show, talk show, news, anchor shows. I don't think we should ignore it because it's a reliable format. I think that's what makes it what's a great thing about it is that it's reliable and that because you have these built-in beats that the audience knows are coming, that it gives you more opportunity to subvert those beats because you don't have to establish the audience's expectations because they immediately have those expectations established. So you have more more free reign to screw with it. You don't have to wait till the third beat to screw with it. You can screw with it even sooner. Yeah, I think that's why the SNL Celebrity Jeopardy works because we all know how Jeopardy is supposed to work. And the reason it doesn't is because of these people's attitudes. Some of them are, in fact, some of the celebrity parodies are are just dumb. Most of them aren't. Most of them, like, uh, Burt Reynolds is, is in his own little world where he doesn't really care about the game show. Uh, Sean Connery is there to insult Alex Trebek. I don't know what French Stewart was supposed to be doing. But he was supposed the, to be dumb. He was supposed to be, yeah, he was, <laughs> three. Uh, but... <laughs> But but yeah, there it's there's a bunch of different stuff that that uh, celebrity Jeopardy on SNL does that Halfwits didn't, where the joke is basically just like, look at these people, they're dumb. Yeah, I think we have like the high water mark of Celebrity Jeopardy with just that that one particular episode, mm. that okay. one particular sketch. Yeah, light erpel. Light erpel. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah. fucked your mother, Trebek. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. so like, you know, but, but so we, we have that as the high watermark and everything else just kind of falls very far or it, it falls very far beneath it. What I appreciate watching the evolution of this sketch um, or the format rather is that, you know, in this one, it's it feels long at the outset. And in contrast to Celebrity Jeopardy, let's say, where you have three, even though they're all kind of arguably low-functioning contestants, they're three very distinct characters and personalities. Yeah. Uh, whereas on this one, there's there's kind of a, a certain level of consistency across all four contestants. And so there's some effort there through costuming and performance to develop four different characters, but it doesn't it doesn't really play itself out. 
throughout the sketch, uh, especially as they're answering questions. There's and I, and that may just be uh, an issue with having four contestants as opposed to the three. You don't really have time to develop those characters as much as you do in the three the three contestant format. You think Second City would have known to stick to threes? Um, I mean, it's not like that was the, this sketch is what probably the late seventies. Uh, I'd imagine. No, uh, Jeopardy with Alex Trebek, I think, started in the early 80s. But it, is is he play? Oh, I guess he is Alex Trebek. Yeah, he, he is says Alex something Trebek. like Alex Trebek. Alex, Alex, Alex Trebek Trebel himself Trebel, yeah. has said that he prefers uh, Eugene Levy to Will Ferrell. So, but yeah. And actually, weirdly. He's the only person in the world. Uh, there no. you go. <laughs> uh, Jeopardy came back as a show after Weird Al's uh, song, I Lost on Jeopardy, uh, did pretty well. Really? Yep, that's right. There, It was originally with Merv Griffin, and then it went off the air, and then Weird Al sang I Lost on Jeopardy, and people were like, I remember that Jeopardy show. It was pretty good. <laughs> so Then he did the Coolio hair. Then he did the Coolio That's hair. the next thing that happened. That was absolutely in, in the his, next thing that uh, happened. There was nothing in, in between, yes. <laughs> so if we're, we're talking about game shows, why is the game show a reliable format? Like, What is it about the game show, EK? Um, I, I think it's a format that is easy to relate to even if you don't necessarily watch game shows i think you're familiar enough with the trope of of something like jeopardy or wheel of fortune um or or price is right whatever whatever the case may be anything even, on the game show network any anything on the game show spectrum i mean you're card sharks you know you're going to be able to understand kind of what what the gimmick is um and it's a great opportunity if you have some some characters that you want to kind of give a test run to put them in a situation where you can see how, you know, there, there are different ways to develop them, how they can interact with other characters and a straight man in particular, like Alex Trebek, the Alex Trebek character would be in this case. But it's, I think it's just a really way to, a really good way to cram in a lot of kind of ridiculous elements in a setup that still feels grounded. They're also heightened. Right, by their very nature, it, it gives you like a, an extra little springboard because nobody's expecting contestants on a game show to act as normal as people do in a in a non heightened situation. Right? And there's a conflict right. element. And there's yeah. a conflict, conflict element. element. Yeah. But like, oh, so for game show sketches, either the 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 show itself is weird or the contestants are weird. Yep. And like you said, as a character, like if, whether it's the host who represents the game show or the um the characters, you're already like. Like you said, you're already hyped. You're already at ten. You don't. You don't need to build to anything. Well, then let's let's. And then now going to talking about the evolution of the game show. Have we hit Apex Game Show? Has that happened? Is is whether it's Celebrity Jeopardy with Will Ferrell and the episode we maybe talked about with mm. Burt Reynolds mm. and um, what's his name, French Stewart and Sean Connery? Is it is it advanced? I think SNL has done two really good game show sketches, even in the past couple months. Yeah. There's the recurrent Black Jeopardy sketch, which mm -hmm. has been their probably sharpest way of doing commentary. Yeah. It's generally, even their cold opener politicals or uh, political sketches aren't really sharp on commentary. It's more just making fun of what's going on. I think there's usually more commentary in the Black Jeopardy sketches. And yeah. then there was also, a couple weeks ago, they did the... Um, Dating an Irish person sketch or date, uh, date an Irishman. And it's you realize that two of the contestants are related to the guy who's trying to find a date, but they're both still interested in him. And then you have A.D. Yeah. Bryant as this American who's also on the show being like, what the fuck is going on? It's kind of like it's almost I think you could have done almost the exact same sketch in Alabama uh, yeah. kind of thing. It's that mm. same the incest Bill trope. Episode. Um, but 
what's what's the height? What's 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 the best the game show can be? Has it has it been done? Is there still a place to go, Julian? I I don't know because like even this guy you're talking about the the Irish one with Bill Hader. Um, I, even, even I, I kind of groaned a little, like there, there, there was definitely some, some funny bits, uh, but even I kind of groaned at it. Like, so like, we're just going to play up incest, you know, that's cool, yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's right? not like we'd ever write a sketch yeah, yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, mm. but like it, it, it doesn't like, I don't, it just doesn't do anything interesting to me. Not like, I think probably the most interesting one w- for me was the, uh, Japanese game show with, uh, with, uh, Chris Farley, Chris Farley. Yeah. Cause, cause like the, that, that was a situation where the show was weird and then you have the characters, a straight man, uh, Chris Farley, who's just kind of going along with it and figuring out different ways to let him go along with what the, all the craziness. You're missing out on what the weirdest part of that sketch is, which is? What? What? The whole thing's in Japanese. Oh yeah. Yeah. The whole it's thing's Japanese. It's actually yeah, in Japanese. Yeah, yeah. 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 Everyone except Chris Farley is speaking apparently not terrible Japanese. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is crazy. So I, f- I feel like that was like the smartest thing you can do with a game show sketch for all of those reasons. And, and then just like a- anything afterwards, I don't know. Like it's just a tired format to me. Well, that's fair. EK, do you do you have a one that you think is the pinnacle of the game show or is there is there more to be combined from the game show? I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's – I'm not sure it's – I think it's a, it's a format that once you once you understand what that setup is, you kind of know – you can anticipate how it's going to play out a little bit. So it's predictable in that way. As far as what a really great example of a game show sketch right now, I actually think Black Jeopardy is on track to be even more delightful mm-hmm. <laughs> than uh, Celebrity Jeopardy. Like the, those yeah. two sketches, the t- or I guess there's two or three now. There have been three Yeah, now. the Tom Hanks Tom one, Hanks, which was um, Chadwick Boseman, and then I forget who the first one they yeah. did it with was. Um, they, they've just been incredible in, I mean, I, I don't even, I can't even count the ways. Um, yeah, well, just like, sorry, the sorry, EK, keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> uh, but, to your, but to your point about the Japanese game show, I mean, there is, there is a level of absurdity, especially when you look at... Uh, Japanese television, Korean television, so it's like the international market. Some of the game shows there that just play into a, le- a level of absurdity that you just don't see in American game shows. But I'm not sure that depending on what audience you're going for, that those would be would have the same relatable element as some of the more like Jeopardy style format sketches would. I think one of my favorite. Um game show sketches that does a good job at constantly subverting what's going on. And this is probably a, a, a sketch we'll talk about later on in the show. Number but it's wing. Number wing, exactly. Yeah. Mitchell and Webb's number, number wing. Yeah. Yes. It, you get the setup that it is a game show, and then from there, it goes to hell. It's just, there is nothing does that it? you expect <laughs> to have. Well, it's just, it's just nonsense after that. There's not, it's mm-hmm. not following re- consistent beats. It's, There'll be little segments where they're yelling out numbers and different numbers are flashing on the I, screen. I, I think you got to save this for when we actually talk That's about fair. this. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, it and is, we should I do think, that the next time yeah. we record, he said, for no ulterior reason. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that number weighing is a, an example of a way that you can totally still subvert the game show sketch. To talk about uh, Half Wits, though, yeah. I, I think one thing that kind of interested me was like, how, like, is the show aware of itself? And so, like, so, like, so, um, in this type of game show sketch, where the uh, the contestants are the unusual thing, um, and the host is the straight man, 
normally the host represents the show, right? But these contestants have been on the show for weeks. So like, is is the show fucking with the host? And that, that that's that's what really kind of like kind of piqued my interest a little bit because I was like, well, it, it it has all the normal tropes of a of a of a game game show sketch, but like the ho- but they've they've been there for weeks, and the host is fucking pissed. So like, is the show aware of itself, and the host is the odd man out, or what? Well, I mean, that's that's the problem is that we don't we would have needed that in the resolution. We didn't get that. What we get is we seem to have invited these people on national television because goodness, aren't they dumb? Uh, which I don't know how many late night shows do that with the man on the street interview thing, but uh, <laughs> it just it, it was really the whole sketch is really just punching down. You, right. you oh, have yeah. these people. Yeah. Yeah. The title is punching down. The title is punching down. Right. Yeah. And it, it just, that, that makes it, it's not funny to me. Like if now not naming anybody in particular, say you had some sort of, I don't know, world leaders jeopardy where you had somebody who couldn't answer a simple question. Um, I think that'd be kind of funny, but the shots you take at Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, president of Liberia are out of this world. I can't believe you'd say that. I, I know. Honestly, I, I've, I've been meaning to say something for a while, <laughs> but I had to Google who that person was. Guys. To figure out, and, and then, and then I had, to, I had to Google why you hated him so much. Please. It's I, a her. Please. Her. I just, I just want to mention. He's the, got a blog. The Liberian, the Liberian consulate has sent me a stiffly worded letter. Uh, I have written an apology, and I, I think I'm going to let uh, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf uh, off the hook after this. In a fun fact uh, rela- about Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, she is related to Retta of Parks and Rec fame. What? Yes. Oh, shit. Wow. But you feel like such an asshole now. Well, yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's talk. We kind of talked about the weaknesses of Halfwits. Julian's talked a, b- a bit about the weaknesses of the game show format. Seth, EK, are there any other weaknesses you think there are in the game show format? Or how about what's something that's new that can be done in the game show format? Which is, this is obviously a difficult question because I'm asking you to pitch a sketch idea. But like, what is something, what's a new way to approach the game show? Hyper-competent contestants. Like when you were on Jeopardy? I wasn't hyper-competent. How, I many, was, how many days did you win though, Seth? Uh, three. Seth was on wait, Jeopardy. Wait, wait, what? Are you fucking serious? <laughs> God damn it. Just, we're just building to the lore of Seth knows everything. <laughs> and it pisses me off. Well, this Like this, actual this is Alex why, Trebek I Jeopardy? Alex Trebe- yeah, that's, which is why I know that he prefers Eugene Levy to Will Ferrell because I asked him about the Will Ferrell Celebrity Jeopardy sketches. Um, anyway, to- Does he wear glasses? Uh, like off camera? I don't remember. It was 15 years ago, <laughs> but why wow. um, 15 years ago? Yeah, it was 15 years ago. Anyway, look. The fuck? Was, you were like fucking 25 going uh, up fucking Jeopardy. I was yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm sorry, I derailed uh, derailed us. But Seth, no, what can this you do is in the fascinating. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, no, mm-hmm. if you had a series of really hyper competent contestants, so that the host was uh, the host was the the weakest one in the sketch. These people just could do the game so well that the host became superfluous. I don't think I've seen that, and I think there might be some potential. That's a good idea. EK? Well, the heavy side, that'd be yeah. a good approach. To I mean, just game to show point sketch. this out, sorry, EK, I'm taking your time again, sorry, but what? Ken Jennings was hyper-competent. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, Who's duh. That? Okay. <laughs> yeah. And tigers are killing machines, like, yeah. let's state the obvious. Right. <laughs> You know, I don't I don't know. I got I got nothing. 
at the moment, I did not I did not come prepared to be creative or innovative or really add anything. Creative people just live. Other than yeah, I I gotta live <laughs> in the moment, means. Andy, Some and now die. is not my moment. So fair enough. Julian, do you have any ideas on how to innovate the uh the game show sketch? Uh yeah, sure. Maybe like so like I said before, the in normal in normal game show sketches, either the show is crazy or the contestants are crazy. I would like to do maybe see like a, a show where both of them are on equal footing, like everyone's playing it straight, but the world they're in is crazy, and so they have to deal with like cut, like deal with like normal questions in a crazy world. Isn't there a Mitchell and Webb like that? Uh, yeah, one, there is. There's the uh, the post apocalyptic oh, post- game oh, show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. it's um, remain indoors. Right, remain indoors. <laughs> is what it's called. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And I, I myself, as the person who asked the question, uh, is not going to answer it. Okay. I just I just want to see something with wolves. <laughs> like wolves is the contestant, wolves is the prize. I don't know, Andy. I don't know. It would they, be it would be just, amazing. It would be amazing if they were just like a regular game show, the contestants are scared for some reason, the host is scared for some reason, and there's just growling after yeah. every <laughs> Yeah. They're just wolves. Just just random growling. Could like you don't know if that. you get the Could wolves the if you win or if you Cheryl lose. Ford. <laughs> that's not gonna be okay, that's not gonna be a runner in this yeah, show. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it already is. is. Yeah, that's the third time, baby. It's established. <laughs> Sorry guys, I've been shouted down. <laughs> Uh, this podcast is brought to you by the fucking sketch comedy troupe, Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. Visit badmedicinecomedy.com for info about live shows, workshops, and t-shirts for people who love comedy. All right, Seth, what have you brought for us today? Uh, I have brought So That's the Way You Like It, which is a, uh, a piece from the seminal Beyond the Fringe uh, review. It's not a sketch show in the traditional sense, like the sketch shows we've been covering, SNL, Monty Python, but it is, it's a satirical review that was written and performed by Alan Bennett, Jonathan Miller, Peter Cook, and Dudley Moore at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 1960. Now, it didn't do too well at Edinburgh, but it did do well when it went to London. Did so well, in fact, that the original four cast members took it to New York. Uh, I think Jonathan Miller left at some point, was replaced by somebody else, and then four completely different people did a tour of America, and they had a show in South Africa as well. So it had some legs in the 60s. Beyond the Fringe is considered sort of the fountainhead of modern British satire. Uh, So stuff like at last the 1948 show, Monty Python again. Uh, those shows sort of uh, are considered to have had their genesis uh, in the stuff that the Beyond the Fringe cast did. Um, just want to point out that Beyond the Fringe also launched the careers of Peter Cook, who everybody probably knows as the impressive clergyman from uh, Princess Bride. That's the Mowage. Mowage is what brings us together. And then uh, Dudley Moore, who we may all know as Arthur. I think that was like the biggest thing he had over the here. The Yardbark? Yes, Arthur the Aardvark. No, the drunken Englishman. I the love that movie, rich, by the way. Rich <laughs> Englishman. Also, yeah. Lady in Red. Yeah. That was another uh, pretty popular He also movie. did a body-swapping movie with Kirk Cameron, I think, before. Wait, wasn't he in 10 with Bo Derek? He was in 10 with Bo Derek. And this has been the Dudley Moore retrospective, <laughs> the, cur- the late career of Dudley Moore. Is he dead? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I he and Peter Cook wrote that. Anyway. Okay. So, uh, this- They say uh, it was the drugs, but no, it was the women. Thank you- 
small John Lennon. Uh, okay, so this sketch again is, so that's the way you like it. It's a send-up of not only Shakespeare, but also the reverence with which the English-speaking world, particularly Britain, views Shakespeare. So why don't we take a look at this sketch? And so we bid you welcome to our court, fair cousin Albany, and you, our fairest Essex. Take this, my hand, and you, sweet Essex, this. And with this bond, we'll cry a nod and shout, Jack Cock of London to the foe. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Approach your ears and kindly bend your conscience to my peace. Our ruddy scouts, to me this hefty news have bought. The naughty English, expecting now some pregnancy in our plan, have with some haughty purpose bent Eolus unto the service of their sale. All right, Seth. First thing I need to do is apologize. Yeah, that's Thank like, you. Mm. Thank you for let's talk about five minutes of what the fuck. Yeah, I'm Ten sorry. Minutes. Uh, Ten minutes. Ten minutes of what this, the fuck. This, uh, they did film uh, Beyond the Fringe. I had the DVD at one point, so I was expecting the link I sent you to be a copy of the video clip, and it is not. It is just the audio clip, which is probably pretty confusing somewhere about two-thirds of the way in when they don't talk a whole lot. You just hear a bunch of swords clanging around. I was confused about 32 seconds in and just it just kind of went downhill from there yeah like all the you know not not being from england or Mm. or anywhere in the uk for that matter i didn't a lot of a lot of the geography (laughs) jokes were centric yeah a lot of the geography jokes were completely lost on me and that is not in any way to say that they are are not excellent jokes they may very well be the best jokes that have ever been developed by anyone ever in the history of comedy. I just Don't undersell it. didn't get it. <laughs> right. It's it's just that whole that whole bit. There's a uh, speech by Jonathan Miller as the king, and I don't think he has a name. He might. I, it's really unimportant. But he gives a speech where he basically tells his entire court to go to different parts of England. And the joke is he's referring to them, as Shakespeare did, by the area which they governed. So there's stuff like, uh, you know, Dorset go to Exeter, York is proceeding to Lancaster, Westmoreland head to, I don't know, Dover, whatever like that, which is uh, really funny if you're me, apparently. What, one thing that uh, is kind of a link between all the other sketches that you brought, basically, like, they, they, they mentioned that, like, the thing they're talking about is important until they're done talking about it, in which case, everything they just said is kind of just like, oh, fuck, this is bullshit. And so I, I was wondering, like, is that like a British thing? It's an absurdist thing, I think. is It's fairer to, to put it that way. I will say that um, my favorite practitioners of it tend to be from that area of the world, uh, regardless of whether they're writing in, you know, English or, say, in the case of Beckett, French. But there, there tends to be a lot of, we have something to say and we're going to say it. When we're done saying it, it doesn't really matter that we said it. So is this existential sketch comedy? This particular piece, you can read it that way, but in I, I think here what they're trying to do is make a point that we perhaps take Shakespeare too seriously. Uh, and I mean, I'll put it this way. I, I love his good plays. Do you know why you only see some of his plays? Because a lot of them are not good. Well, I guess- Fair, very I, fair. I think that, let's talk about that, that reverence or that element yeah. of reverence in that. Uh, yeah. It's clear if you listen to the clip. It's a live clip. It's yeah. showed up for live a live audience. Yeah, the audience is getting everything. Yeah, it's uproarious laughter as they go through it. How much is this sketch an artifact of its time? I know in high school I probably read 
four Shakespeare plays, maybe five throughout the whole run of high school. And then, you know, as someone who's interested in theater, read a few more. But this is steeped with references, obviously, to the histories. There's a lot of that, which are often the densest and most difficult of his plays to read. The title is a parody of As You Like It. Um, there's even a line, the retur- recurring line, get or one of the plays you were talking about, get thee to Gloucester, Wessex. It's yeah. get thee to a nunnery from yeah. Hamlet. And the 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 final sword fight is also there's a bit about a hit, a very palpable hit. No, it was a miss. So there's you know there's and, that stuff too. And so how much kind of institutional knowledge does the audience need? To understand how much about the institution of Shakespeare does the audience need to know to get this sketch? Well, I think your point's very well taken because the the guy who came up with the idea for let's hey let's do a satirical review recruited people who had gone to Oxford and Cambridge, right? So he was recruiting people of a particular class who went to a particular kind of school, and I think it's safe to say based on the audience's reaction that there was a certain type of person who would go see a satirical review written by those kinds of people and they're the kinds of people who are going to get those jokes. So yeah, there's there is a class element in sure. what they're doing, but I also want to point out that later on in this same review, they have a bit where they talk about class because Alan Bennett and Dudley Moore were not were of a lower class than uh Peter Cook and Jonathan Miller and there's a, there's a bit that I have stolen and will continue to steal is that uh, they're talking about relative classes and somebody points out that Jonathan Miller is a Jew and he says, oh no, I'm not not a Jew, more Jewish, really. But, uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, Comedy, catch the fever. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering, is that, is that so like the Edinburgh uh, French Festival, which in Canada, right? Or is it Scotland? Scotland, Scotland. Edinburgh. Scotland. Yeah. Wow. Edinburgh. Wow. Edinburgh. I thought, Edinburgh. I thought- I thought I had geography problems, Julian. Well, well, uh, <laughs> there is a French festival in Canada, and I want to say it's called Juste pour rire. Thank you, just for laughs. I could totally, to- no, 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 not just no? for laughs. Um, uh, no, it's uh, like the Edinburgh film, uh, the Edinburgh French Festival, and um, so I, that's why I thought why it maybe didn't play in Edinburgh. You know, Burra, Burra, Edinburgh. Yeah. So mute, mute all around. Thanks, guys. Right. <laughs> mute. I'm sorry. Mute. 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 Okay. I, I'm just like it, I'm, I'm in well, quicksand now. I'm in quicksand. Right. No yeah. matter what I say, bail out, Julian. Fuck. Bail out, Julian. I'm going to throw you a vine. I'm going to throw you a vine. <laughs> it, it's interesting uh, because the kinds of comedy that play well at Edinburgh are like recently. I want to say the two biggest things that I can think of came out of there are the Mighty Boosh and Flight of the Concords. Right, they both came out of the Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, yeah. Excellent new Netflix special, uh, James Acaster. Okay, yep. uh, very good stand-up. Kay had a great, had a popular show. Oh right, the, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know in 1960 if it was that geared toward comedy and particularly toward that kind of comedy. It seems like it wasn't. Cool. So then, right. kind of like, <laughs> is this sketch an artifact of its time? Do we look at this sketch the way we look at? maybe Renaissance art and we appreciate the beauty of it, but we see how far art has come. And maybe that's not a great example because often we think of the Renaissance as the pinnacle of art, but is this something that we should, we should look at? Well, no. And there's art is obviously the most subjective thing, but is this something we should look at in the context of this was what they were doing in 1960? Or should we look at it in the way that we can even look at Monty Python and say, this is just as good contemporarily as it was when it was first done. 
I don't think that Beyond the Fringe is as good now as it was then. There's a lot of other stuff they do that's very, very much like these are things that were happening in the 60s. And if you're not sure about that, I mean, there's some stuff that unfortunately has some resonance now. There's a sort of an air, uh, uh, like community air defense meeting. And one of the bits at the end is uh, Peter Cook saying, and we will have four minutes of warning, and I want to tell you there are some people in this great country that can run a mile in four minutes, like that kind of, you know, stuff. But again, that was Cold War era, right? So everybody was worried about it. We all thought we weren't going to have to do that after about 1989. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's just... Yeah, I like it. It has a special place in my heart. I think I mentioned this on uh, the last show or one of the other shows that I I have a Shakespeare improv group. So yeah, I really like this sketch. I really identify with it. But yeah, I also think that it is um, a product of its time. I don't think you could do this particular sketch now and get the response that you got then. I think you could definitely do Shakespeare parody sketches that will get a good response. Maybe not this one. And there And there's many Shakespeare parody comedy acts out there. Yeah. Um, and and I think there's actually kind of a, a groundswell of of theater groups in general who are trying to kind of reinvent Shakespeare, either as modern interpretations, whether it's through comedy, or in general just trying to make it more accessible. So in a way, it's uh, I mean the concept of of parodying that is still very much alive and well. There were actually two really good reinterpretations of Hamlet that uh, were local last year. There was the football Hamlet, and uh, there was To Tell My Story, which was Hamlet reimagined as a fan fiction conversation between two um, tweens, uh, both of which were brilliant in their own way. Uh, Alexander Petri of the Washington Post wrote the uh, To Tell My Story. And... um, Kathleen Ankerley of Long Anchor Lee wrote and directed uh, The Football Hamlet. Again, they were both really good. Um, but, I mean, one of the reasons you see a lot of uh, theater groups, especially younger theater groups, play with Shakespeare is that he's free. Yeah. And everybody knows him. So you have name recognition and you don't have to pay royalties. So right off the bat, you've got a couple of things that you might have to worry about otherwise that you don't. But, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of, of Shakespeare, even Shakespearean parody groups, like Shakespeare Scum at the, uh, the local Renaissance Festival has been there for years and years and years and has a really funny act, which is built around like here's funny versions of Shakespeare. Well, and it's even, you know, talking about reimaginings, I think we've even gone so far with the reimaginings. There's a great uh, headline from The Onion that says, director makes bold choice to set Shakespeare in initially intended time period. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was also like uh, like Ian McKellen's Richard III, which was like 20s, 30s fascism, which was like sort of, yeah. you know, and yeah. uh, pretty much a lot of Kenneth Branagh's stuff is... Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there was that redoing of The Tempest recently. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Which Brown did all of Shakespeare's stuff. All all the good ones. I'm pretty sure he did all of them. I don't know. Wait, did he do Macbeth? He did not. He did? did, didn't? Sorry, the play. play, The the Scottish play. play. (laughs) What? I mean, he he probably did, but not Did he ever play Othello? Yeah, I want to say he played Macbeth in a movie. Yeah, sure. Uh, Okay. I thought that was um, Fassbender. No, like no, 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 I no. saw that one. Yeah, yeah. I, it, his Hamlet was incredible. I don't know about. Oh Macbeth. shit! You're thinking of Hamlet. Fuck. 
It, this Sorry, has not Julian. been your day. It's Julian. all right. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. We're just going to talk about stuff that Julian doesn't know about. So, yeah. But one thing, one thing that I, one thing that struck me about this sketch and Shakespeare in general is that like, I'm, I, I didn't get Shakespeare until I actually read it. And, and, oh, that's interesting. And then like, uh, there, there's so many people that are like, well, you know, Shakespeare was meant to be fucking seen, not read. Don't teach it in schools. And I was like, well, I'm the kind of person that actually, when I'm reading it, and I, I I see the stanzas, I, I understand the beats and stuff like that, then I get it. I can see the story structure better when I'm reading it, even if I were to see like the the actors like portraying all like, you know you know all that stuff, whatever. I probably would have got it better if I just had a, tra- a, a transcript of it. Yeah. The first time I shot saw Shakespeare live was at the reconstructed Globe Theater mm-hmm. in London. And it was it was the Tempest, and it was done being done by three people alternating characters. Yeah, and it was incredibly confusing. I did not know what was going on. It was a bad introduction to yeah live Shakespeare, and that's that's one of the problems. Is that speaking of reinterpretations, if you're going to do his text, a lot of people will come up with gimmicky stuff. Uh, again, in this point, I'm not going to name any names, but there's a certain theater locally that does a bunch of weird gimmicky Shakespeare <laughs> for no reason. Are you talking so, about the Shakespeare, the Shakespeare Theater? Theater? I said I wasn't going to name any names. I, well, I mean, we really just named Shakespeare, right? So, yeah. you know. Yeah. Watch out. Popular DC uh, Shakespeare company. Theater. Yeah. 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 Shakespeare <laughs> Theater. Yeah. I'm, I've never actually seen a show there. Such a place. I've seen a show there once before. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, it, like, some people like it, some people don't. I've just seen stuff there that I'm like, I'm not really sure why you did this. I don't see what it adds to this, the script. So It's as you like it. What? what? Right. Yeah, uh, full circle. I was circle. gonna ask another question, but that's yeah. We should probably end on that. I think Boom! So. Exit out. All right, it's time for the end of the show. Ek, as the guest, can you come up with some kind of rating system for us to rate the sketches that we didn't really talk about today? <laughs> I, well, well, I think we all learned a lot today, yes, and I that's important, too. Yeah. You know, it was a lot of British history, uh, a lot of Shakespeare <laughs> history, and in that vein, I think, you know, we should we should rate things on a scale of... Uh, Number of colonizers. Of how many how many King Richards would you, would you rate a sketch? Seth. All right. Well, could you explain the King Richards? Uh, <laughs> Give a short summary. Right, sure. There was uh, Richard the Lionheart. We all know he went off to the Crusades. He's the Robin Hood King, right? Everybody remembers that. There was mm-hmm. King Richard II, who was Say a that kid. to the people he was crusading against. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I'm not saying he wasn't an asshole. He was a huge asshole. <laughs> One man's terrorist, another uh, man's freedom but, fighter. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about how screwed up the Crusades were later. 9-11. Anyway, all right. All right. So King Richard II. Comfy chair. King Richard II. Uh, the Inquisition, took the when I guess, he was but. a kid, uh, there was he sort of uh, was king during a, a, a peasants' revolt led by a guy named Watt Tyler and another guy named John Ball. It didn't really come to much. Uh, he early Protestantism, though, very early. Uh, Richard sort of had him killed, and then of course there was King Richard III, who probably wasn't hunchbacked. And they found his bones recently, didn't they? Yeah, they in did. a parking under lot. a car park. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and was probably not the monster that Shakespeare's histories 
uh, would have us believe. Just want to point out that certain Scottish monarchs are also not the monsters that Shakespeare's plays. They all are. Believe. Seth, how many? Um... <laughs> yeah. Damn. How many yeah, Richards? Just, uh, like a, a, a hard line on oh, yeah. Scottish. <laughs> yeah, no. uh, Seth, uh, how many Richards or which Richard, however you'd like to uh, uh, interpret EK's question, would you give uh, Halfwits? Well, I think uh, the problem is that I, I can't stick with Richards. I'm not going to have to go to Henry's, and there's so many Henry's I could choose from. Let's see, this one, two, three, four. Oh, fifth. Henry the fifth. Henry the fifth. Oh. Why did you go Henry the fifth? Why did I choose Henry the fifth? Yeah. Okay, I chose Henry the fifth because I'm making a reference <laughs> to the sketch I brought from the Chappelle <laughs> show last week. <laughs> Boom! Oh, shit. Call back. Picking yeah. up on stuff. I just want All to make right. sure the audience is acutely aware of right, every let me, reference. Let me go back and do that again. I'm sorry. So many Henrys I could choose from. Which one will I choose? One, two, three, four, fifth. Okay. Oh. <laughs> that makes more sense. Yeah. Okay. Julian, how many Richards would you give this one? I would give, oh, that's a tough one. Because I hate it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, you mm. go King John, who no British but king has been named after since. If if I had read it, maybe I would like it. I don't know. That's that's the conundrum there. Are you are you talking about half wits or are you talking about the as you like it? Oh no, I hate half wits. But, <laughs> but as yeah. you like it, as you like so it, so that's the way. You maybe like it, like I would so like, it, like it, depending on the way I get it. Right, so but like, we're rating half wits now. Oh shit! Okay. Wow. Damn. <laughs> How do I rate this hard enough? Which which Richard was the worst? The third. Fifth. Richard the fifth. There He's go. the one fifth. that knows. Richard oh, the fifth. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You said uh-huh. Henry the fifth. Totally okay. unknown Richard and best forgotten. <laughs> okay. Richard the fourth. Okay. Uh, actually, a character. He was I, aborted. No, he was played by Brian Blessed in the first season of Blackadder. God damn it. Wow. And I would, uh, I would give this one uh, George the seventh. Because uh, we talked about the lineage of this sketch, and I believe, oh, I guess, no, Henry's were the most with the eighth. Um, I was trying to think who had the most, and then I I went George. So my mistake. Charlemagne the... Charlemagne. Charles the Great, you mean? Charlemagne. Charles the Great. EK. Are you sure it's called Charlemagne? Uh, You know, I'm going to take a controversial position. I'm going to, even though I came up with this scale, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Henry the eighth, because he was a piece of shit. Uh, but and this sketch is too. But uh, ultimately, like because he existed in the world, uh, Elizabeth the first happened. Uh, the Anglican Church happened. The Anglican Church happened, and I mean, like Catholicism needed to get taken down a peg. Let's be real. Wait, so are we talking about which which sketch are we talking? Half wits. We're talking about half wits. Okay, okay. But in the context of British history. Okay. Right. All right, yeah. all right, all right. Keep up. But now we are talking about... I'm smart about some things, (laughs) okay? Some things. Now we're talking about... So that's the way you like it. So that's the way you like it. Yes. Um, I'll I'll start. I I will give this one... Oh, man, I don't even... I I don't know. I guess for, again, to honor history, I'll give it Richard the First, Richard the Lionheart, because of everything that came from it. Okay. Uh, EK. Man. I'm just going to say, I I think this one gets a... uh, a Prince William for me. I just, you know, it's there. <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, he's the Duke of York. I'm I'm way more interested in what what the what the little brother has going on. I think he's a lot more entertaining a character. Um, 
Well, I mean, of the two of them, only one dressed in a Nazi uniform. And one's oh. dating a black chick. The one that dressed in a Nazi uniform. Yeah, so... They're engaged. Yeah, True. I mean, I, yeah, that's a tough that's a tough nut to crack. A lot to unpack there. Yeah, I'm still going to go with Prince William. It's just kind of like, I, I made it through it. It just didn't do much for me. It happened. <laughs> Prince William. <laughs> Julian? Oh, it's, it happened. Like, <laughs> this moment in history, like... Uh. It happened. It um, married Kate Middleton. Cool. <laughs> uh, so, like, like I was saying before, I thought um, we were talking about this sketch earlier. <laughs> like, I, like no I can't clue. say that I don't like it because, like, if I had read it, maybe I would get it. I don't know. So, for me, how would I like it? As I would like it. What's the title of sketch again? It's like if so. If that's you would the like way it, you like it. That's the way I like it. The way I like it is written in front of me. Buck actors, also Richard the Third. Seth. Weirdly, I'm also going to give it Richard the Third, but Richard the Third, the kindly version, as played by Peter Cook in the first season of Blackadder, and the one uh, likely found in a parking lot, and the one found in a parking lot. Yes. All right. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Sketch Nerds. A special thanks to our guest Elizabeth E. K. Kemp for being on today's show. Listeners, please like, share, and subscribe. If you have a sketch that you're interested in us breaking down, please send it to us. We'd love to do that. You can find out more about Sketch Nerds and Bad Medicine at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds, where you can also find links to the sketches that we discussed today. You can find this podcast and previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. For EK, Seth, and Julian, I'm Andy. Thanks for listening to Sketch Nerds. This episode was produced by Isaiah Hedden and recorded in Washington, D.C. The closing music tracks were provided by SoundtrackForEverything.com. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act, Fair Use Exemption, for criticism and commentary. The Sketch Nerds podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy group Bad Medicine, D.C.'s best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. For showtimes, videos, and funny t-shirts, please visit BadMedicineComedy.com.